0: in 1996 after nearly two decades spent touring the american midwest with his heavy metal band star cult guitar hero Orin moon disappeared without a trace despite dozens of distraught fans the music industry barely noticed his absence while law enforcement assumed moon had simply fled the country or joined a religious commune for nearly two more decades, the true story went untold. Then, in early 2016, a music journalist for National Independent Radio received an unmarked package that contained over 200 dated microcassettes with a handwritten letter that read, This is the story of Orin Moon. He was an amazing musician, a loving father, and the best demon slayer the world never knew.
1: Notes, created by L. David Hessler. Part 3. Sometimes, you wish you could take back a decision. Redact it, like the politicians say. Just... Undo the whole damn thing. I'll tell you now. I regret ever taking Mel to her father's funeral. That bass player had been right. The thing in the coffin? It wasn't Mel's dad. We saw it firsthand. Wandering around outside my apartment like a zombie pizza delivery boy. A a corpse just walking around on its own. Trying to get into my place. Trying to find Mel. It could have killed us. I mean, why didn't it kill us? We'd decided to swing by Mel's apartment before I went to work. It'd be a hell of a day, I was sure. And I didn't really want to go in but it was a job, and I couldn't afford to go without work. Still, I was worried about Mel, and I told her as much. She said she was fine. I didn't believe her. Nobody's fine after they see their own dad's dead body reanimated and doing its best impression of a door-to-door salesman. You can hang around the gas station today, I told her. She shook her head and dismissed the idea altogether. On the way to her apartment, I asked Mel if she wanted to listen to some music. Maybe some more Wicked Ginny. She just shrugged and stared out the window. This would have been a perfect morning to scare people with our music. So many decent citizens going to church, meandering through town by car or on foot. Sunday morning was probably the worst for traffic in Mason's Post. All the families headed to church at the same time. Even the back streets were sluggish on Sundays. Normally, I felt like an outsider when they saw me not going to church. Like they knew I was destined to live some sort of horrible life because I couldn't commit to a weekly routine. But today? Today I just wanted to ask them all for help. Tell them that maybe there was some truth in the shit they were talking about every week. And maybe see if it was okay if I took some notes on how to avoid uncomfortable encounters with undead rock stars. You think we should have called the cops, I asked her. She stared at me like I told her to jump out of the car. And told them what? She was right. What would we have said? That on top of whatever epic high Mel had been enjoying, we were also drunk off our asses? and we had seen a shambling ghoul in my apartment building. Oh, and while you're at it, just send us some straight jackets. You know, it's starting to get cold. We'd been sitting outside Mel's apartment for 15 minutes. It was the Grand Cinema Apartment Complex. Decades ago, it had been the town's hotspot for watching films. Art Deco, enormous red curtains, sprawling valances on the walls. Then the place went tits up, and the city turned it into a low rent apartment building. Mel had lived there for six years, ever since she graduated from high school. As we climbed the stairwell to Mel's unit, an old woman with minuscule glasses and enormous gray hair met us on the way down. She smelled like mothballs and rose petals. She smiled and put a hand on Mel's shoulder. Melly, she said, using a nickname. I'd never heard in my life I'm so sorry about your father I know you weren't on the best of terms I'll pray for you Mel nodded and said thanks Though it was the kind of thanks that said Get the hell out of my face And don't pretend to know how I feel You cross-eyed old coot The woman's smile grew larger As she told us she had met Mel's uncle Nicest fellow, she said and then her eyes her eyes changed even now I don't know if it was real or if I was just still screwed up from the previous night but as she spoke her eyes took on this mud color whites and pupil everything was just the color of old black mud it was momentary but jarring as shit It looked exactly like Oren's eyes at my apartment. Your uncle said he needed to get a few family photos from your place. Said it was for your father's memorial, the old woman said, her eyes swimming in black sludge. So I called our landlord, Mr. Gregory, and he opened the door right up. Just thought you'd like to know. The mud color faded from the old woman's eyes and she continued down the stairs like nothing had happened went merrily on her way to church. I started to ask Mel if she saw the eyes too, but she interrupted me. I saw them, she said, her voice barely audible. I followed her quietly to the door of her apartment, which was unlocked and standing ajar. I had a feeling this wasn't the work of her uncle. In fact, I was terrified that the thing from outside my apartment last night was waiting in hers today. Taking a deep breath, she went inside. I guess I had no other choice but to follow. Holy hell. I mean, holy hell. Someone had done a number on her place. The couch was upturned, TV was laying face first and busted on the floor. The bedroom was torn to shit, dresser drawers emptied and left like building blocks on top of her bed. Her closet seemed to have vomited all of its contents onto the floor. Anything that could potentially contain something else had been emptied and tossed aside. I mean, it was straight out of a movie. I asked her, your uncle did this? What, is he an asshole? She shook her head. She was right again. Why would he have done it? Hadn't the pudgy man at the funeral home told us nobody showed up for the family viewing? There hadn't even been any family photos at the funeral. Mel began digging around her scattered belongings, picking out the things that mattered most. A bottle of whiskey, a stack of Wicked genie CDs, a flannel shirt. I told her it was time to call the cops. She said, no cops. I said shit was getting weird and we needed help. She said the cops wouldn't help. They'd just blow us off. I guess she was probably right. But I didn't care. While she sorted through her shit, I tried to find the phone. It reminded me of trying to help someone pack before they moved. All the random stuff just thrown around the apartment had no meaning, no value, no connection for me. It was just junk that might as well have been in a dumpster. I accidentally stepped on a plastic dinner plate that had been hidden beneath a mound of guitar magazines, and it snapped like a bone beneath my foot. I noticed a guitar cord coiled in the ground like a pissed-off snake. "'Hey, what about your instruments?' I asked her. She shook her head and grunted. "'They're in the van.' "'What, like, everything?' She said, "'Yeah, everything.' Then she disappeared into her bedroom. Her punk band, Giants of Science, had performed at the Mason County Fair two weeks ago, (laughs) <laughs> it had been great. Small children cupped their ears with their tiny hands, and, and elderly people walked out in the middle of the performance. Look, I'm no musician myself, but even I understand that getting someone to leave during your show was pretty freaking cool. I assumed her band would have felt the same way, so it seemed kind of strange to me that her stuff, all of it, would still be in the band's van after all this time. Normally she treated that shit like it was enchanted, kept it in her apartment like an altar to the gods of rock. I found the telephone line on the wall in her kitchen and followed it across the floor to the couch. Crawling on my hands and knees, I managed to pull the cradle and the handset out of the shadows. A red light on the machine's control panel blinked repeatedly, a reminder that there were missed messages. Mel cheered with joy and leapt out of her disastrous bedroom, stumbling over a couch cushion that had been tossed into the doorway. In one hand was a plastic sandwich bag filled with weed. The other hand had twisted itself into the international symbol for hell yes. She was throwing the horns for a bag of weed. They didn't take the good stuff, she said with a broad grin. I told her she had a new message. She seemed indifferent to the idea and definitely more excited about the sandwich bag. She finally sat down on the couch next to me. She turned the bag of weed over in her hands like it was a toy, then nodded. Play it. The first recording had been made at 5.15 that morning. It was from an employee at the funeral home, the pudgy man in the gray suit, I assumed. His voice was both frantic and apologetic. We listened like two toddlers hearing a bedtime story, mouths gaping and eyes wide as he dropped a hell of a bomb on our asses. Holy shit, Mel said, leaning back into the couch and pressing her palms against the sides of her head. She stared at the popcorn ceiling and then closed her eyes. I was hoping it was all a nightmare. Orin Moon's body was missing. Of course, that wasn't news to us. We sat and stared at the answering machine for several minutes. Then she took a deep breath and said, she was lying. The old lady on the stairs, what she said wasn't true. Mel gazed around her apartment, and then it struck me too. In all the time I would known Mel, she'd never had any family photos in her place. She said, whoever broke into my apartment was looking for something else. Thanks for listening to Bad Notes. The show is written and produced by me, L. David Hessler. Find more of my work at ldavidhessler.com. Support this podcast as well as my future work by visiting patreon.com slash ldavidhessler. You can also follow me on Twitter at ldhessler. Leave a review of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud to help spread the word. This week's mixtape guest is Primitivity. Find more information about their band and music at Primitivity.com. The title music is produced by Ethan Mikesell. You can find more of his work at EthanMikesell.com. The national independent radio host at the beginning of the episodes is portrayed by Adam Martins, my partner in crime fighting over at the B-Mega podcast, where we make new superheroes and villains every week. this episode is sponsored by orb industries owners of national independent radio they wanted to remind you that they just released a new app for listening to their programs on the go there are no links to follow and no software to download in fact don't waste time trying to find their app online just be patient when you least expect it the app will find you orb industries magic for your daily grind.